This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads on our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. If you'd like to join us in person, our talks take place at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. There are many expressions which we use in the English language which have their origins in the Bible, some of which are on the screen now, some of which you'll probably recognise. Today I'd like to look at a few of them and delve into the original meaning uh, of behind the expression to see what they reveal about the Bible, God's purpose with the world and our part in it. I've grouped the phrases into three areas, God's purpose, the teachings of Jesus and what it means to us. So let's start by looking at God's purpose and our first familiar saying. Let there be light is our first well-known phrase and is one of the very first things we read in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, we see the account of how God created the heavens and the earth. The idea of God, and later his son Jesus, being the light of the world, is one that goes all the way through the Bible. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Returning to Genesis, people sometimes highlight an apparent anomaly. Light is created on day one, but the sun is not created until the fourth day. The light that we read about in Genesis chapter one is different and is the glory of God. In fact, this verse is bookended with one in Revelation chapter 21, where we read, and there shall be no night there, and no, no need, sorry, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign for ever and ever. So we can see that God created this world for a purpose and has a plan for it which is yet to be fulfilled. Just staying with the idea of God being in control, and also with reference to the sun, there are two famous sayings that we come across in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1 and verse 9, where we read, The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. In a world that can be confusing due to the rapid way things change, it can be quite comforting to think that when we step back and take a look at the big picture, everything is the same. Nothing is really new or different. Further on in Ecclesiastes, we read, For everything there is a season. Ecclesiastes 3 is also the motivation for the song Turn, Turn, Turn by the birds, which you may remember. In this chapter, we see a list which explains that there is a time and a place for everything. At times, we may think that the world has gone out of control, 
But in fact, there is a reason for everything and God is still in control. We just need to bide our time. Let's return to the book of Genesis for the last expression in, in, this, uh, in this section on God's purpose. Forbidden fruit comes from Genesis 3 and chapter 3 where we read, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, Goth has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it lest ye die. And from that we have in modern English acquired the expression forbidden fruit. Now, I'm not going to go uh, spend a lot of time on what happens in Genesis chapter 3, just to say man was given a choice and he chose badly. And because of that, that is the reason why we die. We die because man rebelled against God. He sinned, which is what sin means, not doing God's will. So, if we have a a perfect world created in Genesis 1, which man pretty much destroyed in Genesis chapter 3. But then we have that perfect world again in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. What happens in the middle? Well, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we read this quite enigmatic statement from God to the serpent. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Enmity is an old-fashioned word and means opposition or hostility. And here seed is referring to descendants. So we are introduced here to the idea of two types of opposing people. The descendants of Adam those who want to do their own will, i.e. all of us, and another type who want to do the will of God. However, there was only one person who did do God's will perfectly, and that was his son, Jesus. We read how the descendants of Adam will bruise his heel, yet he will bruise thy head. So one injury is inconvenient, the other is fatal. So we've mentioned Jesus, the Son of God. So let's look at the teachings of Jesus. And again, there are many expressions which Jesus used which have made their way into uh, modern English language. Our first two well-known expressions are an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And also the expression, go the extra mile. Both of them come from Matthew chapter 5 and verses 38 to 40. There we read, Jesus said, Ye have heard, ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on my right cheek, turn to him the other. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. So here we see Jesus turning the old law of the Jews completely on its head. Throughout his ministry we read how we are encouraged to put others first, to forgive people when we feel that we have been wronged by them, and to help all people 
even those we consider our enemies. Basically the complete opposite to what it's in our nature to do. This idea was brought home very, in a very pointed manner to the Jewish people in a parable Jesus told about the Good Samaritan, which we read as our introductory reading from Luke chapter 10. In it, we saw how people who the Jews looked up to, for example, priests and Levites, ignored a man who was suffering. It was a person from a group who the Jews hated, a person from Samaria who helped him. Today, we think of the Samaritans as being an organisation that helps people in need, or we refer to a good Samaritan as being someone who helps others. But the original Bible definition is equally helping people from all races and backgrounds, not just those who we may identify with or have compassion for. The idea that we are all the same appears in another famous expression, cast the first stone. This comes from John chapter 8 and verse 7. If we start reading from verse 3 to put it into context, we read, And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? They said this, tempting him, that they might, uh, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he had heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none, of, none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those that, that, of thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. The fact is that we all sin. We all do things that displease God. But it is not up to us to judge each other. Only Jesus can do this. Unsurprisingly, the people found these instructions of Jesus very hard. And with them being the descendants of Adam, they were not happy with what Jesus was teaching and decided they needed, he needed to be got rid of. Which brings us to our final quote for this section on the teaching of Jesus. The Jewish leaders whipped the people up into a frenzy and had them call for the Roman authorities to have him killed. But the Roman governor over Judea, Pontius Pilate, was reluctant to do this. He decided to wash his hands of the matter. As we read there in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24, we read, when Pilate saw that he, could not, that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water 
and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. So Jesus was crucified. Thinking back to our Genesis quotation, it would appear that the seed of the serpent had executed a fatal blow. However, we know that we only die because we sin. And Jesus never sinned, and so couldn't remain dead. And we read in all the Gospels how he rose back to life and 40 days later ascended to heaven, where he currently is with his father. So what does this all mean for us? Well, pulling all this together, we know that Jesus' death was temporary and that through his perfect life, he can destroy death. And the Bible talks about a perfect future world, which is yet to happen. To tie this all together, let's look at three final expressions from the Bible, which are well known to many of us. People often refer to the second coming, and whilst this isn't an actual direct quotation, it comes from an idea expressed in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, reading from verse 9, And when Jesus had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. Jesus is set to return to the earth, and we read in other places in the Bible that he will be the king of the kingdom, which we read about in the book of Revelation. But what has this to do with us, and when will it happen? One of Jesus' followers, Paul, coined the expression to fall from grace. This can be found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. Christ has become of no effect unto you. He swear of you are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. In other words, all of us have failed. All of us sin. But Jesus said that we can still be saved. Grace means gift. And it is God's gift that we may be saved from permanent death and be raised back to life just as Jesus was. In Mark chapter 16, um, from verse 15, we read, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he that believeth and is baptised shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So if we try and follow Jesus' example of obedience to God, just as he did, then we have an opportunity to be in the wonderful kingdom when Jesus returns. As for when he will return, we don't know exactly. But in Matthew, Jesus talks about his disciples discerning the signs of the times. He also encourages us to watch the Bible paints a picture of how the world will be just prior to his return. A world where people will not be interested in God or doing his word. A self-satisfied world that is proud of its achievements. A world that is decided on its own moral compass 
and lives according to that. Effectively, the world which we live in today. I always think it's funny that people who may have no belief or, or even uh, believe in God at all will use these expressions that we have been looking at today. They have become so familiar, they have become part of the common vernacular. But hopefully you've seen that when we delve deeper, we see that these seemingly innocuous expressions have a deeper, more profound meaning. Whether we act on them is up to us. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.